Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. It's awesome. I haven't heard that he's real song in forever. We need to pull that one back out. Because John can clap on two and four in that song. <clears throat> hey, we have a flower up here because we had a new birth in our church this past week. Tambra and Jason Wolins gave birth to a lovely little girl, Natalie. And so we celebrate with the Wolins family. Um, mother and daughter and whole family are doing well. So we celebrate with the Wolins in the birth of Natalie this week. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We're talking about miracles. We sang about it in that last song. Uh, something miraculous is when, you know, something occurs that is outside of both the norm of uh, science or discovery or personal ability, and uh, there are really miracles around us every day. Some things aren't truly miracles, but they seem like miracles because they're so unbelievable to you in the way they happen. This past um, September, um, my daughter Olivia is has been a runner, which, I, of course, I think that's my own projections on people in my family is making them all do cross-country at some point in their lives. Whether they want to or not, uh, I, I force them into to running <clears throat> cross-country. So Olivia had done cross-country for a number of years. She came to me at the beginning of September and when cross-country season had begun again and said, hey, Dad, I really I don't want to do cross-country anymore. And I thought she was going to tell me, you know, she just was tired of the discipline of running because really cross-country is one of the few sports where you have to do it year-round. I mean, really, if you are a long-distance runner and you quit for even a week, you lose a lot of what you've already gained. So if you're going to be a long-distance runner, you have to do it all the time, year-round. You never get a break. You just have to keep training. So I thought she was going to tell me she was tired of the training, tired of running, which may have been true, too. But uh, her reasoning to me for wanting to stop running was she felt too much pressure to do well uh, in cross-country. And so I said, well, Okay, sweetheart, I'm not going to force you. One of the things I've learned, it's taken me five children to learn this, but one of the things I've learned is if they really are genuinely not wanting to run cross-country, you can't make a person, can't make a person do anything, but especially long-distance running. You might as well just give it up. Um, they may show up, but they're not really showing up, if you know what I mean. So like two weeks after that, we just said, okay, it's fine. Um, you know, you don't have to run cross-country. About two weeks later, she comes to Kathy and I, and she says to us, hey, they're, um, they've started a swim team at Westminster, and um, I, I want to be part of the diving team. And I, I, in my heart, I laughed uh, because she's never, I've never even seen her jump off a diving board. I mean, like cannonball, no nothing. Uh, jump off a diving board. Plus, this I, I was short-circuiting in my head because I'm like, running in a big group of people is too much pressure, but getting up on a diving board in your swimsuit and doing a dive where people are going to put numbers in to judge you for what you've done, that's, that's not too much pressure. You, you understand the logic to me just was, I, I, I didn't get it. Um, but she wanted... She wanted to do it, so we allowed her to do it. And I've got a video 
of Olivia competing this last Friday at the state, um, the state meet. And this is all with her permission, by the way. Olivia finished, Olivia finished third in the state in the 1A to 5A. Now, uh, this is a picture that was in AL.com. See, that's the joy of doing something you want to do versus doing something your dad is making you do, right? Um, it's, it's the choice. But if you had told me, honestly, if you had told me back in the first week of September, hey, Olivia's going to take up diving, she's going to finish third in the state, I would have said, unbelievable. That is not a reality. I know my daughter. I know who she is, what she does. I've lived with her 17 years, not happening. You see, there are some things that are unbelievable. By the way, Friday was a day of unbelievables in our house. Uh, if you'd also told me that Caleb would dance in the Nutcracker in a performance Friday night, I would have said, ain't happening. Um, <laughs> he doesn't know I told you that when I didn't use his permission. I have video of that too, but I'm not... Uh, it's just unbelievable. Certain things happen that are just unbelievable to us. Certain things happen at times that are also so outside of our realm that, that we miss even the point of it. Some 113 years ago this month, really this week, in December 1903, after a lot of attempts, the Wright brothers, as you know the story, flew... Um, their flying machine at Kitty Hawk for about 120 feet. They sent a telegram to their sister Catherine back home where they said this, we have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Catherine hurried to the editor of their local newspaper, showed him the telegram, and here's was his response according to Catherine. How nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. Now, I don't know if you get it. He missed the point. Flown 120 feet, we're going to be home for Christmas. Sometimes news is so unbelievable that we just pass on by it, not even seeing the significance of what has actually occurred. There are miracles all around us. Past week, we saw a baby born. I mean, I've been present for five births, and it is a miracle to me. I still don't get it. I mean, I get it. You know, I mean, I understand, uh, but I don't understand how the miracle happens. Our Advent series this year is entitled The Miracle of Christmas. But see, it's not enough that you kind of hear the miracle, that you encounter the miracle, God is calling us to experience the miracle for ourselves. To receive this story that we've heard hundreds of times, that they even put in Charlie Brown Christmas specials. I mean, people have heard the story, but it's one thing to hear the story, it's another to receive the story. We've seen how miracles, the moment was right for Jesus to come and the message of, that he's given and today I want to look at really what I've called the miracle of the method, that this God becoming flesh 
how he did it is a miracle that goes really, if we're not careful, it becomes unbelievable to us or we gloss over it and miss it. It says in 1 Timothy 3.16, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. Mystery of godliness. How do we become godly? How does God make us godly? And how did he do what he did? He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Beyond all question, this mystery is great. Martin Luther said that the the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. Let's look at this just for a moment this morning, the miracle of God's method. And the first idea is this. God's method, it transcends us. It goes beyond us. We try to figure it out, but his ways aren't our ways. His mind is not our mind. And we try to make our ways his ways, our mind his mind, and we short-circuit. There's this great doxology in the end of Romans 11. And Paul, by the way, at the end of Romans 11, without going into it, has just been talking about the mystery of what God's done through salvation, through his purpose and plans for the law and for Israel and what God has done. And he gets to the end of it, and he just breaks out in this song where he says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. It's incredible. His riches, his wisdom, his knowledge, they're beyond our ability to figure it out. His methods are beyond our understanding. I was in Colorado some time ago, and I was having a a conversation with a friend that was there. My brother and I were having a conversation, and we got in this theological discussion about the sovereignty of God, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And this guy who we were having this discussion with says this, all right, when we have this discussion, nobody can cop out and say it's a mystery. Nobody can cop out. You have to stay engaged in the conversation. You can't say it's a mystery. Here's the problem with that. It's a mystery. I mean, really, it comes a point, I don't care how good you are at logic and discussion, and in your brilliance, you may be able to put words to stuff, but at some point, our human reason runs out. The mystery of godliness is great. It's a mystery how God could become flesh. I mean, I'm going to do this a couple of times this morning, and please don't be offended at this idea, but if I were God, I would have done things different. I mean, I, you understand? We, we, in our minds, we try to get project ourselves into the way God does things. I mean, <clears throat> two weeks ago, we were in Houston. Our family was in Houston for Thanksgiving, Caleb and I decided to go to a Houston Rockets game. The Houston Rockets are an NBA basketball team. And it was really fun. It's a real show. If you haven't been to an NBA game recently, I hadn't been in quite a while. 
when they go to introduce the team, they turn off all the lights and these lasers start going like crazy and this music starts boom, 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 pounding. And then they start introducing the team who they hit spotlights on. I mean, it's like, wow, it's the team. I mean, I'm not even a Houston Rockets fan and it was just kind of like pumping you up, getting you all excited. See, if I had been God, that's the way I would have entered the world. Lights out, bass pumping, lasers going off, boom, here he is. Right? I mean, it would have been some sort of, but Jesus comes quietly into the world in a very obscure city by parents who really aren't all that, that. He slips into the world rather than, boom, pronounces his way in. In, in the words of our future president, it, if I'd have done it, it'd been huge. But God's methods aren't our methods. If I was God, also, if I was going to redeem people to myself, I would have made us do a lot more. I mean, really. The burden is on us. I would see it like this. The burden's on them. They're the ones that have sinned. They're the ones that have done wrong. I, I'm going to put it back on them to do a lot. You know what? The, God has done just the opposite in every way. He's put all of it on himself and said, I'm going to, they can't do it. So I'm going to take it on me. I'm going to become human. I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to humiliate myself and die in this painful way so that I can have a relationship with them. This is nuts to me. I mean, really, it goes beyond my ability to understand. His methods transcend me and you. He was born to people who had no worldly influence. Just plain, obscure, working class individuals. He was born into a nation that was occupied by another nation. He chose to be born in a stable rather than a palace. I mean, the list goes on and on of things we could talk about, about ways God did it that are, I mean, not just different. We're talking opposite of the way we would have done it. Isaiah says, and this is God speaking through the prophet, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's methods are not just different. They are so high above my ways. They are so far above and beyond that it's a miracle to me. Over and over again, we've seen throughout the Bible that God uses just plain, ordinary, average people through whom he does extraordinary work. Again, I know that you know the story so well, but think about this truth that Mary and Joseph have to travel from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. It's a distance, by the way, about 70 miles that they have to travel while she's pregnant because this census has been ordered. And when they get there, 
so many people have traveled back to the city of Bethlehem because everybody had to go to their own hometown. That's how they counted back then. Wherever you're from, you had to go back there. Now, in America, I don't even know how we'd figure that out anymore. Where are you from? Uh, I don't even know where I'm from anymore. But you have to go back to your hometown to be counted. They go the 70 miles. You, you, again, you know the story. It's so crowded with people who've come home to get counted that they can't find a place. So the only place is a stable. Jesus is born, and he's placed. He, he's wrapped in cloths because they didn't have no baby clothes. He's laid in a manger, in a stable. This is the way God chooses to enter the world. It is a method that transcends us. And, and if we keep hearing this story over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, we sometimes lose the miracle of it. How God enters the world. It's simplicity and humility sends us a message. But it's the second part that I want us to kind of launch into. Here's the deal. God's method not only transcends us, but by his grace, it includes us. It includes us. <clears throat> do you think, do you think God, when he said, okay, I'm coming into the world. My son's being sent into the world. <clears throat> Who's, who am I going to tell this to first? Now that I'm born, who am I going to tell? I mean, again, we would announce it in a lot of different ways. Except God chooses the angels to proclaim it to a group of shepherds. Uh, the Rhodes family read it this morning. The angel appeared to the shepherds and said, glory to God in the highest. Why, why them? Why them? This... You know, shepherds back then, by the way, were not just working-class people. They were like, in, in many senses, unclean. Because of the work they had to do, they were, they were really more on the fringe of society than on the inside. I mean, you could be a carpenter, and you're a working man. But if you were a shepherd, you're a working man, but you, you've got some issues, so to speak. And yet, that's who God decides to tell first. I believe because it's, it's this idea, I, I mean, I know the good shepherd, you know, there's a proclamation about who Jesus is, but to me it's more than that. It's, it's saying my plan includes everybody. It includes, no matter what, you, you may be on the fringe of society, you may be not in the middle of things, you may not be the most important one, but I'm choosing you. And this is not something Jesus just did, God did, right at Jesus' birth, but if you look at Jesus' life, he does it over and over again. The guys who become his disciples, not the most intellectual, not the most winsome, not the most politically savvy. I mean, he just picks ordinary guys from all different walks of life. He spends time with the outcasts. I mean, he even gets accused. Why are you spending so much time with publicans and sinners? That's who Jesus ministered to. Jesus allowed women into his circle. They were not exactly well looked upon or treated well during his day. He heals those that are the scourge of society. He dies in the most humiliating way. He first appears to a group of women after his resurrection. He gives those ordinary followers 
This is part of the unbelievable method that includes God. He gives his whole way of redeeming man to a group of about 120 when he leaves. Men, women, ordinary people, nobody extraordinary, nobody really on the end. To trust the entire redemptive plan for all of mankind to that group was unbelievable. God's methods haven't changed. And here's what I want, to, want you to see in a way, that God's plan includes us and it includes you regardless of what you think about you. See, part of Satan's tool is to continually beat you up and to say you're not good enough to be a part of God's plan. You're not good enough to be included. I mean, he'll include you in the sense of, yeah, you get to go to heaven rather than hell, but as far as really doing anything on this earth, he's not really including you, and that is a lie. His plan includes you, us, because his methods have not really changed. 1 Corinthians says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose, the things God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise, and he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. I mean, God's method is just the opposite of what we think. We think, oh, I'm going to use the really smart, really good-looking, really talented, really athletic, really whatever. But God says, nope. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you ordinary person. You not so smart person. You not wealthy person. You not so good looking person. Don't mean to be offensive. But he's saying, I'm going to use you. Why? Because when that happens, then people are going to say, wow, this really is of God. So that no one can boast. Otherwise, if the smart person was doing it, or the really wealthy person, not that they don't need God too, but if that's only who God works through, then they can boast in their own ability. God chooses us. And, he's in, and his plan hasn't changed, by the way. He still entrusts his plan of salvation, his plan of redemption for the world to you and me. St. Teresa said this, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ looks compassion into the world. Yours are the feet with which Christ walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which Christ blesses the world. God's method includes us. And finally, God's method shapes us. It shapes us. Here, here's one of the unique aspects of God and his work within us. Again, I'm going to play God for just a moment. Thanks. Um, but if I were God, 
and then you chose to come and we chose to be in relationship together, I, I would reward you by saying, oh, look, they've come to me. Isn't this great? I'm going to make their life easy. I'm going to give them what they want. I'm going to give them everything they, that would make them happy. Because I want to, you know, we're in a relationship now, so I want to really pave the way and make it smooth for them to prove it was worth coming to me. But God doesn't do it like that. It's not what happens. You come to God, it seems like you get experience through trouble, through problems, through sickness. It seems like you take two steps forward and three steps back. There are victories and celebrations accompanied by defeats and despair. At times, you might want to say, what in the world have I signed up for? Again, St. Teresa helps us in this. She says, dear Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, it is no wonder you have so few. Part of the method of God is that he uses problems, pressure, stress to shape us in his image to prepare us for the throne room of heaven I'm not very big on working out with weights I I don't like them as a matter of fact I hate them as a matter of fact just to be perfectly honest I've said this before but my idea of hell is like rows and rows of those Nautilus machines and you just get off one and on the other for all of eternity. This is your life. For the rest of eternity, you just go doing this. I don't like them. But one of the things I know about resistance training is that if you're going to build up muscles, you have to have resistance. And God uses problems and pressures and situations in your life like dumbbells to build up your spiritual muscles. If he didn't, we'd be like that movie Wally, where everybody's floating around in that chair, fat, happy, eating, because they never have any problems. They never have any pro- If you haven't seen that movie, you can. It's pretty good. I'll recommend that one. Um, you can go see it. I, think it. I think I'll recommend it. The issue is this God uses things in our lives to make him like, to make us like him. And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you kind of gloss over this verse at times and say, eh, whatever. Paul's just trying to make us feel good. Trying to help us get through the tough times. It's just poetic. It doesn't really mean anything. I think sometimes we read scripture like that. But no, Paul's saying, in all things, God is at work. Even in the bad, God is at work because he's doing something in you that you would not have done. We've got to believe, choose to believe, that God is working to shape us and mold us so that we become more like Jesus. 
I mean, when the angel appears to Mary to tell her she's going to be the mother of God's son, there's no way she could have predicted all that she's going to go through in her life. Joseph has no idea what he's going to endure when he obediently says, yes, I'll take Mary as my wife. I mean, really, you get, think about it. You get this message, angel appears to you, you're going to be the mother of God on this earth. You must have, really, don't you in some ways must have thought, Mary may have thought, I've hit the lottery, if they, if they had a lottery. I mean, really, God's going to take care of me. I got his son. He's going to look out after me. Things are going to be good. Got to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem to have a baby. Born in, a, you know, that story. Pretty soon, angel appears, says, hey, get up, go to Egypt. Herod's going to try and kill everybody. I mean, so far, I'm not thinking things are going that great for me. This having got something. Now, not only that, but people are accusing me of, you know, having a baby out of wedlock. Always ostracized. Always on the outcast. Always having to run. Always having to look over your shoulder, wondering. The cost of obediently following God's plan is indeed that, costly. But the prize is this. The more you follow God's plan, no matter what you press through, the closer you get to draw to God. The more deeply in relationship you are with him. Because God's method transcends us. God's method includes us, but ultimately God's method is shaping us into the image of the Son. You know, I had a, uh, an aunt who did all this needlework, tapestry stuff. You know, she had that little ring, put the cloth on the ring, and then do all that needlepoint. Front side of that thing was beautiful. Some picture, just gorgeous. But the backside looked like a mess of thread. You couldn't tell what the backside, the front side looked like by looking at the backside. You with me? That's what our lives are like sometimes. We're, all we're seeing is the backside of the tapestry. And we're judging it by that. When indeed what God is doing is weaving this beautiful picture of his son in our lives shaping us like him. And, and I want to encourage you this morning to continue to trust God through the difficult times. And I know, I know many of you have undergone unbelievable situations, sickness, heartache, broken relationships, financial stresses, death, Everybody around is undergoing the pressure and stresses of life. Jesus' promise is this. In this world, you will have troubles. Oh, thank you. In this world, you'll have troubles. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. 
And because he is overcome, you are now more than a conqueror. You are more than an overcomer. So hang in there. And as we celebrate Christmas together, the miracle of the incarnation is this, that the miracle of the method that God uses includes ordinary people like you and me. The miracle of that method is that God is at work in your life. What is my part? Choose to trust. Trust him for what he's doing. Trust him that indeed, in all things, he's at work for the good, not the bad, the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. John Donne said this, "'Twas much that man was made like God before, but that God should be like man much more." Lord, we thank you that we were indeed created in your image. What a miracle of the creation of man, that we are created like you, but that you became a man how much more miraculous. So, Lord, this morning we say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your work in our life. Thank you that in everything you are working. You're working for our good. You're working to shape us more like Jesus. Lord, I, I want to pray this morning that if there's someone here who has not received the truth of who Jesus is. They've heard the Christmas story over and over and over again, but they've never received the truth that God became a man and died for them to bring them back into relationship with their creator. Spirit of God, draw them to the name of Jesus this morning. For those of us who do know the message, but at times just become weary and well-doing, I pray that our hearts will be encouraged today. Lord, we thank you, we bless you as we have a time where we pray for one another. God, move in our midst in a powerful way. Stand up with me if you would. Ministry team.